that they've decided to invite all the people that they drummed out of the service for not taking COVID shots, they've decided to invite them all back into the service. And that's good. And uh, they kind of were forced into that because their recruiting is down and they're not getting enough people to sign up. And of course, uh, there's no wonder if, they, if people look at that and say, well, hey, I can get drummed out for not being vaccinated. I don't know that I want to be in there at all. So anyway, but they're going to invite them back, and that's good. And then one other thing is I noticed just, I think, last night, it had in the news that uh, they were doing a study on how many babies have been saved since Roe versus Wade had been overturned and comparing how many babies were born before and after and whatever, and abortions. And they figure that 32,000 babies were born since Roe versus Wade was overturned uh, more than before. Of course, 32,000 isn't that many. Uh, compared to the whole, it's like 2.4%, but uh, praise the Lord for that. Well, let's turn our Bibles to 2 Kings. We're continuing in our study of 2 Kings. 2 Kings, we've been going through the book of 2 Kings, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we are up to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13, going through the history of the kingdoms of Judah and Israel and seeing God's hand in history. And we can see the inspired record of this history here in the book of 2 Kings. Well, here we have 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 10. In the 30 and 7th year of Joash, king of Judah, began Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, to reign over Israel and Samaria, and reigned 16 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. But he walked therein. And the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did and his might wherewith he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Joash slept with his fathers, and Jeroboam sat upon his throne. And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. So here we have Jehoash comes on the scene. He's called variously Jehoash and also Joash. It's shortened as well, the same guy here. Of course, it's confusing here in the Bible. You have a lot of the same names in Judah and in Israel. And it talks about here that Joash was king of Judah at the same time that this Joash was king in Israel. A Joash or Jehoash. And it's just like we have a lot of people called John or whatever, and it's the same name is used for a lot of people. But anyway, Jehoash comes on the scene. And we give the divine commentary on him. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. We don't have to wonder about whether he was evil or he wasn't evil. It tells us what he was in the inspired record. And one thing he was evil in is he departed not, verse 11, from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And we looked at that in the past, and that was a sin all the way through the northern kingdom. They always wanted to go to Dan and Bethel and worship the golden calves, 
And that was a sin to them all the way through the history of the northern kingdom. He departed not, none of the kings departed, from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And then we have verse 12. It says, the rest of the acts of Joash and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? What book is that? Well, it's First and Second Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles, we have another history, a parallel history, just like we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that have parallel accounts and give different details in each one. Here in Kings and Chronicles, we have the same thing. So we have the continuing cycle of history, and a king comes on the scene, he reigns for a little while, and then he dies. Verse 13, and Joash slept with his fathers, his son was upon the throne, and he was buried in Samaria. Now, I've pointed out so many times, and I will continue to point out, Every time in Kings and Chronicles, when it says somebody died, it always makes great uh, carefulness of record to record that the person was buried. And burial is something that's Christian. It's something that's often called traditional. And of course, we have the question with cremation today. But anyway, the thing is, The thing is that these traditional things, the traditional family, the traditional burial, the traditional funeral service, those are all Christian. They're not just traditional. They are traditional, but they're also Christian. And there's a reason they're done that way. And there's a reason people are buried. And there's a reason there's regular funerals. There's all those things. And of course, they're buried to keep track with the resurrection of the dead. And so anyway, we have, because if you burn up the body, it's not really in keeping with that body being resurrected. And then we go on here in this passage down to verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said unto the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou hast consumed them. Well, here we have... Uh, In the verses that I first read, verses 10 to 13, it gave a summary, and it had Jehoash already dying in that summary. But now we go back a little bit, back to the details of the reign of Jehoash and the death of Elisha. It's just like in the back in Genesis with the creation. The creation, there's given a summary of it first, and then it goes back to the creation of man. And people have tried to make those two different things, uh, but it's just a summary, and then later on, the details, a way that they had of writing. And here we have the, the, the details here in verse 14. 
Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. Elisha was a very great prophet of the Lord. He followed Elijah, and in fact, he wanted a double portion of what Elijah had, and he got it. He got a double portion, did a double amount of miracles. But Elisha, he wasn't above dying. Elijah was above dying. He got in a fiery chariot and was carried up off to heaven. But Elisha, he's going to die the normal way. And he's fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And we're going to have more to say about sickness a little bit later today. But, uh, uh, but we wanna, and we want to concentrate on this here, but we want to continue with this passage right now. Elisha was fallen sick. And what was the reaction of the king of Israel? And it looked like Elisha was going to die. It was the sickness that he was going to die of. Well, did the king of Israel come in and jump all around and celebrate the life of Elisha? No. He didn't have any celebration. No, he wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Why do you say the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof? Well, I think it's because he's pointing back to Elijah and his fiery chariot, and he's thinking maybe Elisha is going to be taken up in a fiery chariot too. But of course, God didn't do that. But anyway, the king here, Jehoash, Joash, was very sad when Elisha was dying. He wept over him. Oh, my father, my father. Why do we weep over people when they have died? Why is that the traditional Christian way of doing things, the traditional Christian funeral? Is where you mourn the people. You don't celebrate them. The new thing today is having celebration services. But that's not the traditional Christian way to do it. And a traditional Christian way is to mourn. Of course, you do, do remember the, li the life they had for the Lord or whatever. But you mourn, you weep over them. Why? Because you miss them. And you're going to miss them. And, you know, the problem is with these celebration services, I get the impression that the people really aren't going to miss them all that much because they're not concentrated upon human relationships. And Americans especially tend to be more concentrated on things than on people. And so, but anyway, is if we're concentrated on people and we have, have these, this friend of ours or family member dies, we're going to want to weep. We're going to want to be mourning because we're going to miss them as they're gone from us. And that's the traditional Christian thing to do. And it's right. So anyway, and then we have Elisha has uh, the king of Israel here take a bow and arrow, open the window, and shoot an arrow out the window. Well, that was an object lesson. And you know God uses many object lessons in the Bible. Many. 
and with, uh, uh, with the prophets, the people, uh, the prophets laid on one side, and then they laid on the other side. They'd make a model of the city. They'd cut up hair and burn part of the hair and scatter some of the hair to the wind to, to symbolize the, the captivity of Israel. Well, here was an object lesson, shooting the arrow, arrow out the window. And that was an object lesson that Israel was going to be victorious over their great enemy at this time, Syria. And it was going to be illustrated there by the arrow being shot. And then there was going to be another object lesson here. And let's go on down to verse 18. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. And once again, this is all real history. These are real events that really happened in history, and the divine record of it. But anyway, Elisha here is going to do another object lesson. And the object lesson was not shooting an arrow this time, but to take some arrows and smite them on the ground, uh, hit the ground with them. And so he gave the arrows to the king. He said, hit the ground with these arrows. Well, you know, the king, he took the arrows and he hit on the ground three times. And Elisha was very upset. And he said, you should have hit five or six times, not just three times. And however many times you hit the ground is how many times you're going to defeat Syria. And, uh, well, you know, you, th you think here, well, how would the king of Israel know that he was supposed to smite on the ground more than three times? Well, I would think he would have kind of guessed that baby because he had just had the object lesson of the arrow out the window, and he would guess that this is another object lesson, and it probably would be good to smite a few times on the ground. And of course, why didn't the king of Israel smite on the ground more? Because he was proud, and he didn't want to be, you know, having to do a bunch of stuff that the prophet told him to do exactly. And so he made sort of a half-hearted effort there and did it three times. And evidently, Elisha thought he should have smitten more. And he knew that he should have smitten more because he was angry. And he said, you should have smitten five or six times. And here Elisha is kind of like the father of the king there. And he's angry with his child there as he's there on his deathbed. And then we go on here to verse 20. And Elisha died, and they buried him. Always died and buried, died and buried, died and buried. That wasn't just a custom they had. That was traditional Christian. And they buried him. And the bands of Moab, Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. And it came to pass as they were burying a man, that behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man in the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up upon his feet. 
Well, here we have, you know, Elisha, he had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah, and he was even doing miracles after he died with his dead body. And uh, a guy was buried and thrown into his grave, uh, revived and was raised from the dead. You know, uh, we're going to talk about a little bit here about sickness today. And you know, the Pentecostals, they say that they should do all the miracles that are done in the Bible, that all the miracles that the apostles did, all the miracles that, the, uh, that Jesus did, uh, and all those miracles. Well, you know, they raised the dead. Here we have the raising of the dead. Do the Pentecostals today, the Charismatics, do they actually raise the dead? No, they don't. And they don't do all the miracles. And many of these miracles, these are just for one time, one place. And it's a miracle that's done. Not, not for everybody to go do that. Throw people in graves and have them revive and be raised from the dead. And you know, uh, uh, so many of the great figures in the Bible never did any miracles. You know, John the Baptist, we're told about him that he did no miracle. And yet he was as great as any prophet that ever lived. Noah, he preached, but he never did any miracle. Although God did a miracle in front of him with all the animals coming in. But anyway, and, and you know, when, when, the, when we have the pastoral epistles in the Bible, First and Second Timothy and Titus, it tells us what a pastor is supposed to do, and it never says go out and do miracles. It never says go out and heal the sick. It never says those things. It says to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. And so here we have this guy is raised from the dead by Elisha's body. And then we go on, verse 22. But Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz was the guy before Jehoash. And the Lord was gracious unto them and had compassion on them and had respect unto them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them. Neither cast he them from his presence as yet. So Hazael, king of Syria, died, and Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his stead. And Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, took again out of the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz, his father, by war. Three times did Joash beat him and recovered the cities of Israel. So here we have this cycle that we saw before, the cycle of sin, the cycle that goes through in the Bible all the time. It's in our lives as well. Is everything's going good in our lives. And then when everything's going good, we turn away from the Lord. And then God judges us and gives us something to bring us back to him, get our attention. And then we turn back to the Lord and we, uh, we go on this cycle. We turn back to the Lord. The Lord is gracious unto us and he heals us and he delivers us. And then we're back to being prosperous again. And then after a while, we forget the Lord again. And that's how it was with Israel, time and time and time again. Well, here, that's what we have right here. They had forgotten God. The Syrians had come and punished them, had defeated them. 
and oppressed them. And finally, verse 23 there, God was gracious unto them, had compassion with this cycle. And why did God have compassion, it says here? Because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the past. And God was remembering his covenant with these guys in the past, the forefathers of Israel, and he was gracious to Israel. Why is it that God is not judging America today greatly uh, for our sin? You know, we're aborting babies to the tune of three or 4,000 a day, and we're uh, homosexual marriage and all kinds of things. Why isn't God judging us for that today? Well, it is because of our heritage, I believe. I believe because of our godly forefathers, God is holding off on his judgment. Just like here it said, neither cast he them from his presence as yet. God has not cast America down completely as yet. And it's because of our godly heritage, of the Christians in our heritage, and many of them. And so there was a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he didn't cast them away yet. Well, then we have the fulfillment of the prophecy. Remember, the king put the arrows down on the ground, hit them on the ground three times. How many times did he defeat the Syrians? Three times. Literally. One, two, three. How are prophecies fulfilled in the Bible? Over and over and over again, we see they're literally fulfilled. Uh, three times, three times. It's not just uh, some indefinite number or whatever, or something indefinite, spiritual or whatever. It's a literal three times. He defeated them. And you know, of course, as we go through here in Kings and Chronicles, it's one long string of wars. War against the Syrians, war against the Assyrians, war against the Babylonians, war against the Moabites, war against the Philistines. And, you know, mankind's history is one long history of war. And why is that? Because the wicked are always trying to rule over everybody else and oppress them and have their power enlarged. So they try to take over everybody else and impose their will upon them. I just put together a, a puzzle uh, there at my house there. I put together puzzles once in a while. But anyway, the puzzle is about the veteran. And it says, it is the veteran. And then it goes on to go through, it's the veteran that guarantees us, that has guaranteed us and gave us all of our liberties. That the only reason we have liberty is because they have been won by war out of the hand of the wicked. And they have to be preserved that way as well. And of course, here we have that here in the history of Israel. Well, let's go back there to Elisha, verse 14. Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died. And you know, that's a part and parcel of human life is sickness and death. That God has made it that way. And you know, the thing is, is that the Pentecostals, Charismatics, I talk a lot about them because I was missionary in Brazil, and in Brazil they are really super big down there. They're everywhere. And the thing is, 
They say he's going to do all the miracles, and they say that, that all sickness comes of the devil, is what they say. And they say, if you just have faith, and enough faith in the Lord, you won't have sickness. And all you need to do is just look to the Lord, of course, look to their uh, faith healers, and all the sickness comes of the devil. Well, is that how, what the Bible teaches? No, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that God uses sickness and death very greatly. And even with his great prophet here, Elisha, that he used the sickness and death of Elisha. And we read in our responsive reading earlier about the resurrection there in 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection passage there. And you know, it talks about that a grain of corn has to go down in the ground and die before it can sprout and live again. And that's how it is with our bodies. They have to be buried. They have to see corruption in order for us to be resurrected to newness of life, to spiritual life, to our spiritual bodies. You know, the funny thing about the, uh, the Pentecostals Charismatics is that if they have the gift of healing, and they claim they have the gift of healing, why don't they just go into the hospitals and clear them out? And in fact, it would always it was kind of interesting, Oral Roberts, one of the great uh, leaders of the Pentecostal, Pentecostals in years gone by, he made himself a big new hospital there to take care of people. When Why would he make a hospital if he has all that faith healing power? Well, of course, they say when, uh, when they don't heal somebody that the person didn't have enough faith. But if we look at the Bible, the faith that's important for healing is the faith of the faith healer of the person doing the healing, not the person that's being healed. So anyway, here we have the sickness and the death of Elisha. And so let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. And here we have the Apostle Paul. Did the Apostle Paul get sick? You know, of course, the thing is, heal or heal yourself if you're going to be healing everybody. No, but anyway, Paul, he had his problems too. Chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians and verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. And you know, it's clear it was, it was a physical thing. It was in the flesh. 
thorn in the flesh. The, uh, I, I heard a Pentecostal before explain away this, saying, oh, well, hey, this is a, a spiritual battle and some demon was, was bothering him or something like that. No, it's not talking about demons, spiritual things. You're talking about a thorn in the flesh. And most people, most people who study the Bible think it was his eyesight because a couple times Paul talks about his eyesight and problems with it. But anyway, he had this thorn in the flesh, and he said why he had the thorn in the flesh. It was to teach him humility. Well, there's one reason we have sickness, to teach us humility, to teach us things. And, you know, when we get sick, God gets our attention. He gets our attention. And sickness, you know, the Bible talks about things going down to the innermost part of the belly. And that's how it is with sickness. It goes down to the innermost part of the belly. And God gets our attention. And Paul, he figured he needed to be humbled a little bit, have some humility. And that's why he had this thorn in the flesh. And he says he would glory in his infirmities, in his weakness. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, he says in verse 10. And you know, he says that when he is weak, he is made strong. And you know, when we're weak and when we're sick, uh, we have to depend totally upon the Lord. We see it's not through our own strength that we're doing things, because we're weak, extremely weak. Well, you know, I, had a, I have a journal that I put out in Brazil at once every six months, continuing with our mission work down there some. And one of my old journals, I put out an article on the back cover and it says, of course, this is in the middle of a Pentecostal country down there. It says, sometimes God wants Christians to be sick. Sometimes God wants them to be sick. And it's through God's will that we are sick. It's not through the devil's will. Of course, the devil could be cooperating in it. But uh, it's ultimately God's will. He's, and so why does God have us be sick? Well, the Bible tells us many reasons why we're sick. And uh, uh, one reason is because of our sin. Uh, I read an article years ago by a homosexual, and he says, God doesn't send you to the basement when you're bad, when he was talking about, uh, you know, HIV. Well, you know, the thing is, God does send people to the basement when they're bad. He sends them to the woodshed. He sends them wherever. And the thing is, is we have that totally all through the Bible. And if people say that that's false, they don't know their Bible. The Bible's full of it. And when we come to communion every time, we read about that if somebody partakes of communion unworthily, they're likely to be weak and sickly. God is going to judge that. It says it right there. And uh, one example in the Bible was Uzziah. You know, Uzziah was a great king. He was lifted up. And he thought he could go into the temple and offer up incense like the priests because he was the big king. Well, he went into the temple. And what happened right when he was op offering the offering? Of course, the timing of things shows you what God's trying to say many times. And so right when he was offering up the offering he noticed that his skin was starting to fall off. 
And he got leprosy right there, right on the spot. And he was a leper to the day of his death, we're told. And we're told that that was his punishment for going into the temple when he wasn't supposed to do that. And so, actually, a priest had gone to him and said, You're not, it's not for you to offer the incense. And right when Uzziah was getting angry and was going to persecute that priest, that's right when he got the leprosy coming upon him. And so we have that over and over and over in the Bible, that God does send sickness because of sin, but it's not always because of sin. That's the thing. You can't look at somebody and say, oh, well, that guy's sick, and it must be because of sin he got sick. And there's no indication that Elisha was sick because of sin. No. And, of course, we're all going to get sick sometime. Uh, Tim mentioned to me the other day that uh, Pastor Bird used to have a saying when he came to a funeral that all of you are going to go to one more funeral at least. And that was the one of yours funeral. And that's, there's truth to that. And you know, the thing is, is that it's not always because of sickness that we get, because of sin that we get sick, but sometimes it is. And so when we get sick, we need to examine ourselves. Is God trying to show us something? Some sin in our life because of uh, the sickness. Some sin in our life. And then God also, because of sickness and through sickness, tries to teach us things, just like with Paul. He was taught humility. Teaches things. Remember Job. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And Job, at the very beginning, we have this guy who was perfect and upright, a man who feared God and eschewed evil. Well, did he get sick because of sin? It's clear it wasn't because of sin that he got sick. He was a perfect and an upright man. But he got sick. He had boils from the top of his head down to his feet. And he was laying in the ashes and he was in pain. Did you ever get a boil? You know, it's pretty painful. And so Job, he had that sickness not because of his sin, but God wanted to show him something. Because after Job got sick, then he said, oh God, you're, you're, you're doing evil here. You're giving me sickness and I'm not, uh, not because of my sin. But God uh, showed him in the book of Job, the oldest book in the Bible, that God is in control and he knows what's best for us. And so when we get sick, God knows what's best for us. When we die, God knows what's best for us. And you know, uh, we have Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so God is working everything to good for good in our lives. And we need to see that with sickness. We need to see that with death. And here we have Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. Let's bow in prayer. O Lord, we pray that thou would bless these thoughts to our hearts. And O Lord, we pray that we might have the right attitude towards sickness. And O Lord, we pray that we might be healed. And we thank thee for thy healing. And O Lord, we just pray that thou would show us what we need to see through sickness and even through death. In Jesus' name, amen.